All right. Well, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 22. While you're turning there, this portion of the book of Deuteronomy, the next couple of chapters, it reminds me of something. And um, when I was a kid, every summer I went to my Oma and Opa's house. That's my grandma and my grandpa's. And when I walked in there into the house on the, in the kitchen counter area, there was this little glass jar, and it had one of those slider things. And it was probably made for, like, peppermints or something, but they put, uh, chocolate, they put uh, M&Ms in it, excuse me. And so, and it's small. So we, my brother and I would go there, and we'd just open that thing, like, 50 times. And then you'd have a handful, small handful of M&Ms, and then Omar would be yelling at us, like, you're only supposed to get one. But we got, like, 20 of them. But you got all the different colors and all the different stuff, and then sometimes there was a previous candy in there, so it's kind of in there too, and it's all mixed up and uh, delicious. We would Every day we got back from work from the day or whatever, we'd try and run to that thing, hey, can we get a couple? Yeah, you can have one. And then, we, then you could hear it in the background. <laughs> well, why is this chapter like that? Why is this portion of Scripture like that? Because it seems random. It seems like you're just getting all these laws and all these different words from the Lord, and you're going to see, it's going to seem like a bunch of uh, shift changes, direction changes, idea changes, and it's really fun. And so I was reminded of that. You may think it's a stretch. That's how my mind works. I'm crazy. <laughs> Let's go before the Lord, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4 as we get started. Lord, thank you, as always, to, for your word, Lord, writing it on the tablets of our heart, sharing us where we're at. Not only in Scripture, Lord, but we're also where we're at in this time and place and in our culture. And we just thank you that your, your word is alive, living and sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it continues to reveal to us your truths. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 4. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and hide yourself from them. You shall certainly bring them back to your brother. And if your brother is not near you or if you do not know him, then you shall bring it to your own house, and it shall remain with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. You shall do the same with his donkey, and so shall you do with his garment. With any lost thing of your brother's which he has lost and you have found, you shall do likewise. You must not hide yourself. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall surely help him lift them up again. I am told that in the past, in in, in America, that if you got in trouble out in public doing something, that your neighbors would discipline you. That your neighbor's friend, the person that knew you, the ball coach, would say, no, you, you you can't do that. And then you would discipline them, and then you take them home, and then there'd be a double discipline. When I was a young man, not quite that long ago, your neighbors knew everything about the kids. We still played outside. We weren't quite the generation that had everything connected to a screen of some kind. We were told not to come home until the lights popped on. And if you did something crazy, that parent would inevitably come. They wouldn't say anything to you in my generation. They wouldn't touch you, but they'd show up at the door right about the time you come home, knocking on the door. Here, let me talk to you a little bit about Mike. Let me tell you what, what I saw the other day, and then you'd get in trouble. Today, nobody knows anything. 
Nobody says anything. You, you see it online. I just recently read an article online that a, a, a homeless person in the middle of a busy city was dead for an hour before anyone even checked on him. Because we're in a society now where we just don't get involved, don't do anything, don't get in trouble. You're just going to cause more trouble than it's worth. The Bible knows none of this. If your neighbor's animal's loose, your neighbor's donkey, it says even his garment, if you see it, he, he dropped his garment off his cart. You don't just say, man, that's a real bummer. I, I hope he finds that and keep on going on your way. You go and you pick it up and you bring it to their house. And if you can't bring it to their house or you don't even know who it is, what does it say? It says, bring it home and keep it safe. It's not yours. I was taught things like, uh, hey, if you find somebody's wallet, you should return it. But they should give you something out of it. Or if someone returns your wallet to you and all the money's gone, but they give you all the cards and the license, just be thankful. That's a little bonus. Bible doesn't know anything about that. It's not yours. Give it back. I said, well, this is really interesting. Is there a New Testament principle for these things? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of James that if you know a good deed and you do not do it, to him it is sin. If you know to do a good deed and you don't do it, it is a sin. Not doing the right thing is separation from God. We talk a lot about resisting temptation. We talk about you know, repenting from mistakes and doing really bad things. The Bible says if you know to do a good thing and you don't do it, it is a sin, which is very important on a side note when you're teaching people or sharing with somebody the grace of the gospel and why they need a Savior. If they say they're not guilty, you know, well, I've never lied. That's a lie. I've never stolen anything. Also a lie. Because you could, even if you're not going down to the diamond store and taking everything out of there, it doesn't mean you've never taken anything before. <clears throat> I've never murdered anybody. Well, Jesus says if you hate somebody, you've committed murder. But even if they don't go by that standard, have you ever known to do a good deed and you didn't do that deed? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, of course I have. Well, you're guilty. And the punishment for sin is death. The book of Romans tells us we need a Savior. All of us are condemned and guilty. Well, the Bible here is telling us these things. You can't ignore the things you're supposed to be doing. Well, I told you that things change very rapidly in this chapter, right? So we're going to look in our hand. We're going to be like, I don't want any red M&Ms. Now we're going to go to the blue one, right? Let's see what we have in verse 5. And verse 5 is kind of a standalone verse. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on women's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Well, just let that sit there and marinate for a minute. No, no commentary needed. Now, we laugh about these things, but I'm going to take a different extreme. Let's go in a different direction. Does this mean that a woman can't wear jeans? Does this, woman, does this mean that a woman can't cut her hair short? Does this mean that men can't wear kilts? Like, well, what is the limit here? On the direction, where is the law here? Where is the scale? Well, we need to look at the intention here. What is the intention? The intention is there is to be no gray area when it comes to gender. How important is this to God? It says that all who do so 
are an abomination to the Lord your God. Well, those conservatives, they must have just slipped that into the text in the last few years. For thousands upon thousands of years, this is what's been written in the Bible, which also means something else. You don't write laws into the books that everybody's following, right? There's no law that you have to get up in the morning. Why? Everybody gets up in the morning. If you don't, you're dead. So it's not in the books. That means that this is an issue that they must have struggled with in some capacity at that time. So I'm just reminding everyone that this is, there's nothing new under the sun here. We're still having the same problems they were as the nation of Israel was before they crossed into the Jordan. We're talking about the Corinthians on Sunday mornings right now, and we're looking at the first century, and here we are centuries before that, similar problems. We're going to see that especially at the end of the chapter. We do not blur the lines between the sexes. There are denominations that say that women have to wear dresses, they have to have long hair, that men have to wear long sleeve shirts, and that they cannot wear shorts. And th that's just legalism. That's not the intention here. When we do get to those areas, we need to realize that this is not God's standard. And then I just personally, on a personal note, which, again, when we're talking about my opinion, we're just going to toss that to the side, right? That's a, just a gimme. You know, people don't understand you know, how beautiful they are, how handsome they are, that God created them that way. And then I don't understand why they are uh, trying to hide that or to change it into something else or to mold them into a different image. You know, we need to have contentment. And the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Not trying to be something you're not. Just, be, just to be who you are in the light of Scripture and who God's made you. I say that because today, more than ever, culture is imposing itself on people and telling them, well, if you don't do it this way, you don't act this way, you don't do it that way, then you're not good, you're no good, nobody likes you, you know, you're, you're better off not being here. And I, and I say that all people, all human beings are made in the image of God. And God has a purpose for them. But they can only find that, purposes, that purpose and that true fulfillment in God. Again, let's switch gears here and go to verses 6 and 7. If a bird's nest, yeah, I'm telling you guys, it just goes all over the place. If a bird's nest happens to be before you along the way, in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs, with the mother sitting on the young one, the, excuse me, on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall surely let the mother go and take the young for yourself, that it may be well with you and that you may prolong your days. So God is interested in the tiniest little details. Uh, this is important to me because, you know, we talk a lot about big topics, you know, salvation, sin, the church, the purpose for life. You know, we don't shy away from those big topics here. But he's also interested in those little things, like the, the sins you don't do, what kind of clothes you wear. He's interested in that. I am not interested in that. Me and fashion do not go together. But for some of you, that's, it. that's interesting. That's important to you. Shouldn't be a priority, but important. That's okay. 
But God's interested in that too. The little things that you're, what you're thinking about, enjoying a sunset, he's interested in the smallest things. He's interested in a bird in a bird's nest. Hey, have some compassion on that when it's in your way. You know, you're trying to chop down that tree in the front yard. You got to make some space for your new driveway. You see a bird's nest up there. He says, you can go ahead and fry those eggs up. It's okay, but let the bird go. Don't take it too. Don't, no fried chicken or anything like that. Just have some compassion. Have some mercy. You see where my brain goes. What does the Puritan say about this? Guzik, uh, he quotes Matthew Poole, and he says, Partly for the bird's sake, which suffered enough by the loss of its young, for God would not have cruelty exercised towards brute creatures. And partly for men's sake, to restrain their greediness and covetousness, that they should not monopolize all to themselves, but might leave the hopes of a future seed for others. And only the Puritans would be writing stuff that deep about a bird's nest in Deuteronomy chapter 22. But there it is. He's interested in those small things. In the New Testament, God is interested in handing a cold cup of water to one of his children. Because Jesus says that when we enter the kingdom, and he says, didn't you know that you were feeding my, people, my children and you were taking care of my children and you were giving them water? And he said, when, when did I do that? Well, any time. He said it to me. I'm sorry. I misquoted it. He said, didn't you know that you were feeding me, you were housing me, you were clothing me, you were giving me water? Giving me water? And he, they say to him, when did we do that, Lord? When did we do that? Any time you did it for one of my children. When you gave them a cup of water, you were giving me a cup of water. When you were housing them, you were housing me. He's interested in those small things. If you haven't, you need to. We're a tight fellowship. You can find somebody. But if you ever had a dinner where you had some brothers and sisters over, just how encouraging it is, just talking once another, sharing stories, God's into that. The Lord's into that. The small things, the smallest of things. And then finally, before we go to our next subject, which we're going to spend some more time in, Jesus says that the Lord knows even a sparrow that falls from the nest. How much more so does he think about you? How much more so is he intimately interested in the details of your life? You guys know me. I'm not emotional. I'm not feely. You know, I see a sunset and I go, oh, that's pretty cool. What's next? But to me, to know that God is, in, in, he is interested in the smallest things, clothes, the nest, doing a good deed, picking up a coat off the side of the road, making sure it goes back. It reminds me that my prayers are not wasted. Because sometimes in my prayer life, I'm like, well, let's just pray for the big things and God knows the rest and he'll sort it out. Like, what's the big deal here? It's like, no, God is interested even in those small things. And he wants to hear from me. He wants to talk about those things. He wants to speak into my life. He wants to enjoy those things with me. And that's encouraging to me. I still don't do it, but talk about feelings or whatnot. He usually breaks me. And then when he does that, I'm all over the place, just begging for him, Lord, help me. What I'm getting at is that you can be yourself. You can deal with him with the issues you deal with him. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to 
try and be strong when you're weak. You don't need to be weak when you're strong. You don't need to try and dress like other people. You don't need to do things the way that they do them. You just need to do them God's way, and you need to allow God to speak to you His way. And then you need to express the things that He wants you to express and work on those areas that He wants you to work on. There's nothing too small for Him. It's not just getting the big things down and then calling it good. It's not a matter of just understanding good doctrine. When we say you need to have a personal relationship with God, that is what we mean. Because he is interested in all those things. Even the things that don't quite fit. That was the only way that I could figure out as a pastor how I could tie all these seemingly random things together. You ever gone to somebody's house and they have everything together perfectly? Everything's in order. Everything's clean. Everything's wiped down. There's not a speck of dust in their house. And you're like, you saran wrap this, right? And then you take all the saran wrap off when I show up. Or do you live like me with three kids? There's toys everywhere. All we're doing is yelling at our kids, clean this up, clean this up. Shoes lined up by my front door for like a three-mile long stretch. Always dirty dishes in my sink. The only time my house looks immaculate is when my wife just works herself to death. And it's only temporarily because we got kids. And sometimes our Christian lives feel like that, like nothing fits. And we're like, man, I wish I could be like one of those real Christians that have everything together. It's not true. We're all messed up. But God puts all those pieces together and he makes it fit, just like those that eclectic bowl of candy that I was talking about. It's like, man, you know, this is amazing. Just be who you are where he's at and allow him to put those things together where they need to be. That's the grace of our God. And allow the Lord to speak to you in things that are seemingly pointless. One last uh, analogy or illustration, and then we're going to go to verses 8 to 12. My wife is incredibly gracious to me. She only asked me to do one thing, take the trash out early on a Monday morning. And I I could forget that. Or I could be like, why do I got to take the trash out? Everyone stays home. I got to go to work, you know, let them handle it, you know. That's just my sinful brain because they're, ta- they're handling everything in the world. You can't do one simple thing. Of course I can, guys. Just stick, stick along with me here. So I go out there, and now I'm having a conversation with the Lord. Lord, look how good of a husband I am taking out the trash. He's like, oh, really? Let me talk to you about that. That's what I mean by having those conversations with the Lord on the smallest of things. Because... Does it really matter in the scheme of things? It does to God. Apparently, He wants to talk about it. He wants to work on me about it in the small things. Try it out. Now, let's continue in verses 8 through 12. When you build a new house, then you shall make a paraffit for your roof, that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household, if anyone falls from it. little building code there. Verse 9. You shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. 
you shall make tassels on the four corners of your clothing for which you cover yourself. So we have building codes and we have some clothing codes and then we have some uh, codes for how you take care of your field. What in the world is going on here? And am I in trouble because I have a cotton hybrid t-shirt on? No, you're not in trouble. There's a spiritual principle here, but this is a legal code for the nation of Israel. The, the question is, what are they trying to say here? You know, why can't you have two animals pulling together? Why can't you have two types of fabric weave together? And then we'll get to the building codes, because those suckers annoy me, but they're important. <laughs> now, first and foremost, we need to understand this in its proper context. In those cultures at that time surrounding the nation of Israel, they would put special mixtures of clothing together and animals and metals because to them it was a magical enchantment. There was magic to it. And so if you put this combination of fibers together in this shirt, it is now going to protect you from ever getting hurt. If you have these two animals together and you plow your field, you're going to have a bumper crop because you're honoring the God of so-and-so. And so Israel was told by God, you're not to have anything like that. Don't have anything to do with it. Don't mix it. Don't mix anything. It's going to be pure, undefiled, which is what we're called to be. The issue is that we can't because we're mixed with the world. How, how do you make bread? You put the leaven in there and it swells up. What does it say? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That little bit of yeast makes that whole bread to expand. And so what was the nation of Israel told to do on the Passover? No yeast. Have to have it pure, ready to go. Passover, ready to to flight. Can't wait for it to rise. We're called to not have sin. So it's not a sin to have multiple types of fabric in your clothing because we no longer have that analogy. You don't think that your shirt is magical, do you? Because you have a special fiber. I mean, when I was playing soccer as a kid at a high school, that's when the Under Armour came out. We thought that stuff was magical. If, if you got that long sleeve Under, under Armour under your shirt, you were going to be cooler when it was hot. You were going to be warmer when it was cold out. You were going to run faster, jump higher. All you had to do was pay fifty nine ninety nine for a shirt that was kind of constricting anyway because back then they didn't have the technology down. But you thought it was special. It was all in your brain. Well, we can do the same thing too. And we can think that if we mix certain things, we're a certain way. I've had people over the years tell me, well, you know, as Christians, we shouldn't mix these things, you know, because the chemicals from the factories are from the enemy who are trying to give us all cancer. I'm not exaggerating. No. Now, that may be true, but it is not spiritual because our hope comes from God. What you wear does not make you holier than someone that's wearing something different. Please wear something. (laughs) But what you're wearing doesn't make you holier than someone else. Take the different robes or the different types of clothing of a pastor, even today. Different denominations will have different types of clothing. Is he more spiritual now? She, in some cases. Are they more spiritual because they're now wearing something different? It's a fascinating conversation. Am I less spiritual because I'm wearing jeans and a T-shirt? Am I trying to be prideful in saying I'm wearing jeans and a T-shirt? No, guys, I'm just ignorant. Because, but I've heard 
some great sermons of, of teachers teaching the Word of God, and then they go off a tangent about how we're diluting the gospel because we have pastors in jeans. Now, I knew what he was trying to get at, but I'm also like, yeah, but that's not true. What was he trying to allude at, though? You know, that we're making, that we're not having uh, God at his reverent standard. Well, we could keep his reverent standard and still wear jeans. But if it stumbles anybody, if it, if it distracts anybody, then yes, we need to change our clothes. We need to do it a little bit different because we need to yield to others. And so the nation of Israel was to yield to others. They were to be assigned to the rest of the cultures. No, we don't mix that. We don't need magic. We have the true and the living God. The sad part is they don't keep these laws as time goes on, especially in the time of the judges. Now, what about in verse 8? You just had this random code. What was it talking about there? We can reread it. It says, when you build a new house, then you shall make a paraffit for your roof that you may not bring guilt of bloodshed on your household if anyone falls from it. So what they're talking about is in the roofs at that time, they were flat, and in the heat of the day, in the afternoon, if you wanted your siesta, you would go up there. That's where the family would gather. You're hoping to get a small breeze because there's no air conditioning then. And so they want a rail, the nation of Israel is to have a rail so no one can fall off of it unless they're really trying to because it says if they get hurt on your property, it's your fault. That's a biblical principle. So one of my projects is behind schedule the other day, and it failed inspection. It failed inspection on a random safety code that we haven't done in any other building, but the guy was telling the inspector, he's pretty smart, he was saying that there was an opening in a wall and it had to be filled with a special type of insulation. And I go, I just did two other buildings that you all, your, your jurisdiction, I won't say which jurisdiction, your jurisdiction said was okay, but now you're doing it. He said, yeah, but now I'm here. And I, and I go, like, what's the difference? Of course, I'm upset, right? So I'm trying to talk him into letting us go. He says, have you seen any of these videos of a fire comes in through this wall and it finds that one chase, this whole house will go up in two minutes. Do you want that on your conscience? No. <laughs> Give me your stinking paper. <laughs> of course I don't want that on my conscience. You can't cut these corners, you know. And these things are annoying. Our sin nature constantly being brought out, warring against the flesh, constantly being put into check. But it's there for a reason. Let's just roll it all the way back. Does it really matter if a woman dresses like a man? I mean, is it that big of a deal? Well, when the whole house catches fire, yes, it becomes a big deal. But no, in, in an individual instance, it's not that big of a deal. All these little things, are moving a, a bird's nest, taking the eggs, letting the mom go, is that a big deal? What if I just take the bird? What if we're starving? Can I just take the bird too? No, it's not that big of a deal by itself. None of these things are a big deal by itself. But when you add it up to a culture that now has less and less and less value for anything, and I'm speaking of America, not Israel, this is what you begin to see. And now we're seeing that rock just rolling down the hill, getting faster and bigger and taking more stuff, and the slide is going faster. The Lord knows what he is doing. And his word is perfect. 
And so there's perfect, there is purpose, excuse me, in every single one of these codes and laws and seemingly random stuff. Now let's read verses 13 through 21. If a man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her and charges her with shameful conduct and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found she was not a virgin. Then the father and the mother of the young woman shall take and bring out the evidence of the young woman's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And the young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as wife and he detests her. Now he has charged her with shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin. And yet these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. Then the elders of that city shall take that man and punish him. And they shall fine him 100 shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman because he has brought a bad name on a virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife. He cannot divorce her all his days. But if the thing is true, and evidences of virginity are not found for the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones, because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house. So you shall put away the evil from among you. And I'm staring at that scripture, and I'm like, what do I do with this? First of all, I'm going to tell you, no commentator knows exactly how you're supposed to have the evidences of virginity or non-virginity, or if that even works. We have no idea, nor do I want to know. And if they found a secret book that taught us, I would not want to know. We'll just keep the secret things to the belong to the Lord. Now, there's a couple things to point out. Number one, women have rights in ancient Israel. Like, this is insane in, the, in, in terms of that period of time, historically speaking, because even up until the time of Christ, the pagan world, women were property. Children were property. The strong men owned everything. Period, end of story, no discussion. If a Roman man in the first century, which is hundreds of years, centuries later into the future of this time of this writing, wanted to beat his wife to death, and the neighbors reported it to the police. Hey, something's going on over there. And the police knocked on the door. And the man answered and said, what? That's my wife. They'd be like, okay, have a nice day. Nothing. No punishment whatsoever. And here they're saying if the, if the husband comes into this situation, he makes this accusation against the honor of her and her family. There needs to be evidence and justice. You need to go before the elders. It needs to be tested out. This is, a, this is an important thing. And if he's wrong, there's a punishment. And if she's wrong, there's a punishment. But you guys, are, you guys are missing something. The commentators are missing something. Our critics of the Bible are missing something. How often is this going to happen if you actually just love each other? Never. This is never going to happen if you actually love the person you're with. If the honor of your family is important. This will never happen. If the honor of your tribe and your people, if you love God, if you honor God and fear Him, this will not happen. And that's the letter of the law. 
We should not be obligated by the law. What kind of marriage do you think that is at, in that verse 19 there at the end? He cannot divorce her all his days. That's going to be a loving marriage after a situation like that. But again, it did happen, and the Bible deals with real family problems, real life. I just find the whole situation incredible. And then I think of Joseph and Mary. You know, the accusation that she has committed adultery before marriage during their engagement. And you think about this. This is what Joseph could have done. Taken her, brought her up in front of everybody. I want evidence of your virginity right now. Ante up. Man, what would that have been like? But Joseph was an honorable, God-loving man who maybe loved Mary, maybe he didn't. It doesn't say. But it says he was going to put her away quietly so nobody would know, sparing the shame, sparing the drama in the court case, sparing whatever ritual they had decided at that time to prove that innocent because he was a good man. We have a morality problem. We have a heart problem above all. And it can only be changed with a love for God, a love for His Word, a yielding to His Spirit as He works in us and He changes us. And then we, begin, we stop looking at the letter of the law and we start looking at the letter of love, which is what we're going to get to in 1 Corinthians in chapter 13, six or seven years from now at the pace I'm going. <laughs> love. Verses 22 through 30. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall put away the evil from Israel. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband, and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city. And the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife. So you shall put away the evil from among you. But if a man finds a betrothed young woman, betrothed young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of death. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this manner. For he found her in the countryside, and they betrothed, the betrothed young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her. If a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out, then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife because he has humbled her. He shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days. A man shall not take his father's wife nor uncover his father's bed. There's several different things we want to point out here. The one that jumped out to me is at the end of verse 27, but there was no one to save her. Why did that jump out to me? Because it reminds me of the beginning of this chapter. He who knows, like I said in James, he who knows a good deed and does not do it, it is a sin. And if you're called 
to take care of some clothing you find or an animal that you find along the way and return them back, and you find somebody that's in real distress, someone that's being assaulted in public, someone whose house is on fire, someone that's in a car accident, and you just drive by. Oh, man, that's, that's a problem. Hope that works out for them. I'm late for work. And no one is there to save her. I remember in, in California, they were teaching young women that in crowds, don't yell rape or help me. Yell fire because they'll pull the alarm. People will start running. Everyone will start reacting because no one was going to come help you. And I, and I think of that, but no one was there to save her. I want to be there if someone needs me. I want to be available. I don't want to withdraw from a, a situation that the Lord can be magnified because it's inconvenient. And then I put myself in my, what is one of my family members and I'm not there? And people are just walking by. Or in this day and age, what will they be doing? Cell phones out. Wow, I'm going to post this. wonder how many views I'm going to get. Somebody's dying. And they want to film it. 20 phones come out. We can see it from every angle in high def like we're filming a movie. These are people's souls and lives. This is humanity. As Christians, we are above all never to lose our humanity, our compassion for others to represent the Lord. Now, we're going to go to our next subject, which is this. This is exactly what we're learning in 1 Corinthians. Sexual immorality is deadly. Deadly for the human condition. Deadly for the person. Deadly for the family unit. Deadly for marriages. It is deadly for our society. It is deadly for our culture, by and large. And the more sexually... Uh, let's use a more easy word for, for my public school education... The more sexually, quote-unquote, free or liberated we're getting into society, the more backward and worse that we're getting. And uh, there, there was a woman the other day who was complaining about our society because she was wearing a dress at a major awards show that revealed everything. And then she was blaming the men for commenting on it, like it's their fault. And I just thought, how ignorant... Of us. And now we're, and there's another group saying, well, we have, we're really becoming advanced now. We're really becoming liberated. No. No. What a shame. What a shame that people are going out into our communities. They're pushing and imposing these things on other people. And if you say, no, that's obscene, it's your fault. Like, like it's, you're the one that has to defend your position. Absolutely not. Absol- nothing could be worse than what we are doing to our young men and our young women, that they are believing that this is normal behavior. And we need to come in and just say, no, this isn't right. This doesn't help you. This doesn't make you happier. This doesn't mature you. And then we see a hint here in verse 30, our last thing that we're going to point out. A man shall not take his father's wife nor uncover his father's bed. That exact thing happens in 1 Corinthians, which we just addressed in the last few weeks in the church, and they were proud of it, and they were proud of it, and so there's other pastors out there saying, why do you teach the Old Testament? You know, we're in the New Testament now. We're free from the law because all of these spiritual principles still apply. Yes, the law is fulfilled in Christ, and therefore, 
You can eat anything you want because meat for the belly and the belly for meats, God will destroy both it and them. Remember last Sunday, were you paying attention? You took notes, right? Did I call you? We don't, we don't have to wear clothes that only have one type of fiber in them to be more or less spiritual. But there are spiritual principles in every single one of these laws that still apply because the law of God is perfect. It was never a mistake and then corrected by Jesus. It was absolutely perfect, and it was fulfilled in Jesus. So we still need to look at every single one of these and grow in them together. So nothing that you do is too small for the Lord. Look for those small things this week. Look for those opportunities to serve Him. Don't miss the small things. They are important to Him. But then definitely do not miss the big things. As I'm rolling out the trash cans to the front yard, acting like I just slayed a dragon, because my pride knows no bounds. I just, the Lord keeps it under wraps. Just realize we are, we are one family in my household. We have to work together. I can't miss the small things because I'm on a screen. I can't ignore the small things in my family that they're leaning on me because I'm tired or I'm too busy, quote unquote, you know, whatever excuses you're putting in there. I can't miss the conversations with God because if I do, I'm going to miss these opportunities. And then I got to remember that it doesn't have to all line up perfectly. Just like we jumped around in different laws, God has everything set in the perfect place at the perfect time. And it doesn't have to look like we think it's perfect. It needs to look like God sees it as perfect. And maybe what you're doing in your household right now is just fine. And you're putting yourself under a guilt trip, a spiritual guilt trip, and the Lord's having none of it. He said, just keep on doing what you're doing. Just keep loving Him. Keep growing on Him. So I pray that the Lord is speaking to you tonight exactly where you are, exactly where He wants you to be, and that you follow Him where He wants you to go. We're going to spend the rest of this evening in prayer. We're going to spend about 10 minutes, a little bit after 8, because I took so much time. Let's go before the Lord. Lord, we thank You so much for who You are. And we pray that you would be speaking to us now, convicting us where we need to be convicted, changed where we need to be changed, content where we need to be content, uncomfortable where we need to be uncomfortable. We pray your spirit would be coming alongside your word and leading us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.